to College Hoops Chat. I am Jim Massano, your host. This is our weekly college basketball radio show right here on WVOX, 1460 AM in New Rochelle, New York. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for being part of our show. Great show tonight. I'm very happy uh, with our guest, Brian Roth. Uh, Heat check CBB. Uh, we're going to talk some of the top teams in the country. March Madness is only 41 days away. Do you hear what I just said, folks? March Madness is 41 days away. That's not that long. We're going to talk about some of the top teams, maybe some teams that are dark horses and are getting hot, and maybe some teams that are falling back. So we'll talk about that. Our second guest will be Sam Basil. He called last year. Uh, he covers Fordham for a website called Atlantic 10 Talk does a really good job of covering Fordham. Fordham is really hot. Fordham's having a great year. It's kind of exciting for someone like myself who's followed college basketball in the New York metropolitan area for a very long time. It's kind of cool to see Fordham Rams have a really good team. 17 and 4 is their record. So we'll talk about Fordham and can they win the A-10? And then we'll have Kenny from Rye. We'll talk some Iona. We'll talk some Providence and then in the last segment, we're going to have Fairfield Frank Aquino. Fairfield Frank is on Twitter. He covers Fairfield. He's going to talk to us about uh, where Fairfield's at right now and also their brand new arena, which just opened up. And Iona's going to the new arena this upcoming Sunday. So lots to talk about with Fairfield Frank from Twitter. And I think John from Portchester is going to try to get in in the very last uh, couple of minutes. So thank you for being part of our show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this weekend basketball games. Also, you had pro football to watch, so it was kind of a crazy, uh, busy weekend. I certainly had a great time watching sports all weekend. Iona, as an Iona fan, as a radio show that covers Iona University basketball, I have to tell you, it was a weird weekend. It really was. Because coming in, Iona had, had been in a rough patch, right? They... Uh, Lost two of their prior four. This is going to the Friday game against Siena. But Siena's tough to play on the road. Iona goes up to Siena on Friday night. Iona fans were kind of excited about the game, thinking this is where Iona gets their mojo back, uh, goes on the road and beats a really good team like Siena that's in first place in the MAC conference. And Iona goes up to Siena on Friday night and gets, and gets stunned. I mean, they got dominated. They weren't competitive on Friday night. Iona lost 70 to 53. They only scored 53 points. Siena dominated the second half from start to finish. There was um, it was a 17-0 run or early in the second half for Siena where they just pulled away. Iona failed to score over six minutes during that time. It was just a tough game to watch. Siena was better on the boards. Siena was better on D. They shot better. They moved the ball better. Iona was completely taken out of their game, in, in particularly in the second half. So it looked like Iona was kind of going backwards on Friday night. Now they'd lost three out of five. It was kind of shocking, frankly, folks. Then we all show up at Heinz Arena on Sunday. Quinnipiac comes in. If you remember, Quinnipiac kind of uh, blew Iona out earlier in the season, kind of started the downslide. And in the first half, it was more of the same from Siena. Quinnipiac led... 45 to 28. They played really well. They seemed like a bad matchup for Iona. Iona's defense wasn't that good in the first half. So it was looking like a dark point in the season for Iona on Sunday against Quinnipiac. And then, folks, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was like two different teams. 
Iona comes back in the second half. Who knows what went on in that locker room at the halftime with Coach Patino. But Iona gets a much-needed 78-72 comeback win over Quinnipiac on Sunday. They outscored the Bobcats 50-27 in the second half. Iona's defense was ferocious. They pressed the ball. Iona plays so well when they can press the ball. They did press. They had a very aggressive attack defense. Guys came off the bench like Anton Brookshire and played terrific. Iona really had to fight hard for this win over Quinnipiac, but they got it done, and they did it with big energy and big aggressiveness. So out of nowhere, Iona kind of pulls out a big second half finish against Quinnipiac and gets back on the winning streak. So pretty impressive for Iona Gales. And uh, we got a big week coming up, Mount St. Mary coming into Iona on Friday night and going to Fairfield on Sunday. All right, so lots more to talk about. Iona with Kenny from Rye. Thank God. They were able to pull together and get that win yesterday. All right. So everybody knows that I am a fan of the St. Bonaventure Bonnies because I attended that school. And they had a game on Saturday that I have to be honest with you. I'm still shocked they won. And here I am a fan of St. Bonaventure. But remember, we said it on the show this year. St. Bonaventure is the only team in America of the 363 teams in America that didn't have a single minute back from last year. It's an entirely brand new team from freshman and transfer portal. So Mark Schmidt, St. Bonaventure's excellent coach, had a lot of work to do. So this week, St. Bonaventure goes in to play VCU, who is in first place in the Atlantic 10. They had a 16-5 and overall record. They were 7-1 and in the Atlantic 10. St. Bonaventure was predicted to lose by 11, and somehow goes into that game away in a basketball court, VCU, that is very home court friendly. And St. Bonaventure finds a way to beat VCU 61-58. to It was kind of an, a stunning turn of events for St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure had some, uh, they lost their prior two games, they had a kind of a rough run there, losing to Loyola Chicago and Fordham, who we're going to talk about tonight. But somehow, it goes down to Richmond and beats VCU 61-58. It was a, a very interesting game. So St. Bonaventure was led by uh, Farrell, one of their forwards, 15 points. Shot five of seven from three-pointer. Uh, down low, their center, Venning, played really well, scored 13 points. And Flowers came off the bench, uh, did a little bit of everything, hit field goals, hit three-pointers. Uh, the team just played great defense at a time where they were shooting as well as they had all year against a really good VCU team. So I was surprised, but I want to give a shout-out to St. Bonaventure for getting a big win on Saturday against a really good VCU team leading the way in the Atlantic 10. They were in first place. So it was a terrific game. I want to give a shout out to St. Bonaventure Bonnies. We'll see where they go from here. A couple of weeks, they're going to be at Fordham, and I'm going to go to the game Fordham against St. Bonaventure at Rose Hill. So that should be fun too. All right. I believe our first caller has called. Brian, are you there? I am here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for calling. So how's everything going at Heat Check CBB? Things are going great. We're we're ramping up into the most fun part of the season, and so we're we're ramping up our work accordingly. And it's it's been a lot of fun. It's the most fun time of year for us, folks. If you're ever on Twitter at Heat Check CBB is one of the better places on Twitter to follow college basketball. Brian Roth, did I say it properly? You did. You did. I appreciate that. Okay, Brian and his 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 uh, team does a terrific job at Heat Check CBB. They have a website too. Definitely check him out. I do all the time. And as Brian knows, I share his stuff all the time. 
You do, and it is very appreciated. Thank you very much. No problem. All right, Brian, first of all, you're a, a South Carolina Gamecock. So since my son is one of those, that makes you an important person uh, in this universe. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about the Gamecocks because they're just not good this year. They're not. Uh, Gigi Jackson is fine, and he'll still go to the top 20 in the NBA draft. But um, there is very little to no talent around him. Uh, it's, uh, I think, a bad year for the bottom of the SEC, and South Carolina belongs near the bottom of that tier. They do, and, I, I, you know, the new coach seems like a good guy. He did a good job at Chattanooga. I hope, I really hope he can get some better guys through the transfer portal. That's going to be the key to turning around uh, South Carolina. They're going to need to hit the portal hard because they're not exactly bringing four- and five-star players in as freshmen. No, and I, I think he'll be fine. He's recruited decently enough. He had a whole bunch of success in the transfer portal at Chattanooga, getting guys who were good, but also guys that fit his system. Uh, you have to remember, too, he took over this year after Frank Barton, and when Frank Barton left, um, South Carolina's entire roster basically left. I know the, the talk, particularly in the SEC, uh, was with LSU's coaching change because at one point they had zero scholarship players on their roster. South Carolina didn't have zero scholarship players left when Frank Martin left for UMass uh, or was fired and went to UMass, but they had probably two or three. And so he was still building a roster from scratch this season. So I, he still needs some time, but yeah, it's, uh, this is not a good year. I agree. All right, so good luck to Gamecocks. Hopefully next year you'll be on the show and hopefully we'll be talking about a team competing in the SEC. Let's hope, let's hope. Let's jump to 41 days from today. We're right about right now, right now, right now in 41 days, we're going to all be around the TV uh, getting really pumped up for the selection show for the NCAA tournament and March Madness will be kicked off. So that's going to be really fun. 41 days. It seems so close when you say 41 days. I know. Um, doesn't it? It really, it really does. So I have said on my radio show in the past, I've said on Twitter, I think you might have even said this. There's a lot of parity in college basketball this year. It's hard to even say who's going to make the Final Four. Yeah, I think you, you said it more eloquently than I did. I, I described it as everybody stinks. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's Everybody good stinks. this year. Everybody stinks. Yeah, I mean, just look at this past weekend. We had you know, 10 top 25 teams lose. A couple weekends after, we had 11 top 25 teams lose. It's, it's a topsy-turvy year. There are no great teams. Uh, I think there are very good teams and a number of teams that could advance to the Final Four or even win the national championship. But a lot of it, and this is the case every year, but I think it's going to be really accentuated this year, their uh, matchups are going to matter a lot more than normal because there aren't many teams that can just go out and beat people playing the way they play, no matter what the opponent does, right? There are no great teams in that regard. So it's going to come down to, to draw and who you play in the style of play. I totally agree. I thought that was well said. Even everybody stinks. I'll even give you that. That sounded good. <laughs> um, but there is some teams that kind of jump out at you. Like there's one team, I think, is the clear number one, at least with the body of um, their record right now, the body of their season. Um, and that would be Purdue, who surprisingly mm. is the best team in the country right now. Yeah, I, they have to be the number one right now. right? And if you were to field this tournament right now, would be the number one overall seed. Um, they're going to have plenty of opportunities to solidify that in, in Big Ten play, certainly. Um, but there's a difference between being great in the regular season and being great in the postseason in the NCAA tournament. The biggest thing is guard play, that we see that time and time again. Teams with good guards beat better teams or teams that did better in the regular season that have questionable guards. I mean, you look back to last year, Auburn had 
one of the best front courts in the country, not the, the best front court in the country, with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. Uh, but their guards were very hot and cold. As a result, they lose in the second round to a team in Miami with excellent guards. Kentucky, same token, another two seed from the SEC, had a really awesome big man, Oscar Sheway, National Player of the Year. Obviously, still there playing at a National Player of the Year level this year as well. Um, got into a game against St. Peter's. It got a little closer than they expected, and their guards could make any plays that they needed to make. And Purdue, to me, has answered some questions that regard. Zach Eady is obviously their best player. He's the best player in the country, national player of the year, and he should be. He's, he is a unstoppable force if there ever was one. Um, but guard play is still a question. Fletcher Lawyer has stepped up and made plays when Purdue has needed him the last couple of weeks. So I, that's alleviated a, a portion of the concern for me. Uh, but, you know, the, if you're going to beat Purdue, it's going to be because the perimeter doesn't play up to the way they've been playing so far this season. And that's still a question. Like, if Zach Eady was a guard, I think we're talking about Purdue as the clear national title favorite no matter what. But he's not. He's a big. And because of that, I think that's why we're talking about Purdue as number one. But it's a still pretty open tournament field. I agree. And, and like, one of the things you just have to be nervous about with Purdue, despite the fact that they've overachieved this year, they played really well. Like you said, Ed has become the best player in the country. But what people need to know about this team is that both starting guards are freshmen, and they weren't mm-hmm. even that highly ranked freshmen right. coming into the season. They're kind of surprises, uh, both Braden Smith and Lawyer, but they're really good. That When you watch Purdue right. play, you're really impressed with these two freshman guards. But well, are they at the level right now and the maturity to lead a team through the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure yet. Well, yeah, we'll find out. I describe them as being... Um guards who are going to be every other team in the Big Ten's like most hated people for the next four years because they're going to be so good for the next four years, that backward, the way they grow. Um, but they're also going to be in college for four years because I don't think the NBA potential is there for them beforehand. Right. right? So they're in like, they're in like that, that, that sweet spot middle ground. Um, they're not the kind of guys who can take over games. Now, if Lawyer keeps making plays late in games, because there have been a couple games in a row here where Purdue has needed somebody to make a play late, and he's been the guy who's made the shot, made the play. If he keeps that up, some of that uh, gets alleviated for me, some of that concern. But, yeah, you, I mean, don't dig too deep into this. You're playing two freshman guards in the Elite Eight. You don't want to be doing, you don't want to be doing that necessarily, right, particularly when they aren't you know, lottery picks or, or first-round talents. So that's going to be the question for Purdue that I don't think we can answer, unfortunately, like until it's answered, until day of. Uh, I agree. Look, look at last year. So – in the NCAA tournament, we're surprised a lot, right? Particularly St. Peter's, but there's other upsets every year. That first weekend, you get a bu- you know, five or six really surprising upsets. There was mm-hmm. a game in the tournament last year that utterly shocked me. Like, I'm not a betting person, but I would have betted, if I had $10,000, that Purdue was going to beat St. Peter's. Because not yep. only that Zach Eady, but they had Travion Williams, they had Jaden Ivey, Stevanovich, much of the depth and some of the key pieces they have this year that kind of uh, stayed around. They had a lot of players. They went like nine deep. I still don't know how they lost that game. <laughs> that, well, that, that's one of the funny things of the tournament, right? And that was a Sweet 16 game, so St. Peter's had a couple extra days to prepare and game plan for it. Um, and it, it looked like Purdue thought they would win that game. That's one of the things that you can't necessarily factor in is like the, the want to, the motivation. You, you wouldn't think that would be an issue and then it's a tournament game, but like that game kind of looked like Jaden Ivey was checked out, that he kind of already had one foot in the NBA draft. 
Um, Painter was a little bit off of his front court rotations. They did not get the guard play they needed to. And on the flip side, St. Peter's was making everything and, and playing with the confidence of a team that was a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 and had nothing to lose. Right? That's one of the things we love about March Madness is the one game sample size. And anything can happen in one game. Sure. You play that game, you play that game 10 times, Purdue wins nine, eight or nine times. Right. right? And I don't think we think twice about it, but just the, the extracurricular off court factors play in so much in these, again, one game sample sizes that you kind of don't know. You don't know what's going to happen there. Right. So, so I, I keep thinking about that when I think about Purdue in the tournament this year. Now, here's a team I want to put out there because I looked at Ken Palm, the number one, AP, number two. They are number five on Gary Parrish today, and they are number two on John Rothstein, and that is the Tennessee Volunteers, a team that every time I watch them, they look a little different. Sometimes that defense is locked down. You can't score against them. Then I watched them play Kentucky, and they couldn't score. So they're kind of a team like uh, we just talked about Purdue. As good as they are, mm-hmm. they have challenges. Me and, and Connor Hope, who's my co-host for the Heat Check Hangout uh, podcast we do weekly that's available wherever you get your podcasts, we have developed this theory for Tennessee over the past couple of years since the Grant Williams Admiral Schofield days a couple of years ago, is that Tennessee is going to put up some clunkers that make no sense. They just their offense goes into these ruts in games where they can't make anything. They're a elite defensive team that will play a high level of defense every game, no matter what. Their offense doesn't always follow through, and there will be games where they play good offenses that score on that defense, and their offenses make plays. And I don't know if it's something with Rick Barnes and who they recruit or just the system, but year after year they haven't had guys who have been able to make those plays and carry them offensively. This year is the same boat. Right, like mentioned that Kentucky game, Kentucky hit him with a run, and they needed to score, and they couldn't. Right, Kentucky had guys who could score against Tennessee's lead defense, and Tennessee didn't have that individual playmaker who could break down Kentucky's defense and and you know get you ten, twelve points in a stretch where nothing else is working offensively, and they they don't have that again this year. You you add that couple in Rick Barnes's historical uh, underachievements in the NCAA tournament, going not as far as the seed would, would expect. Uh, I would still be cautious about putting Tennessee very far in your bracket, no matter how good they look. Right, like last year, they won the SEC tournament. No, went I into agree. The NCAA, won into, went into the NCAA tournament looking like you know one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country, fell flat and stick around against Michigan team that barely got in. Right, so despite like, all these gaudy rankings right now, Tennessee's not going to be in my Final Four. All right, here's another team. Yeah. Ready? Houston. Look great on paper. Analytics are great. They win most of their games, but they're in a weaker conference. So we kind of, they don't get tested like an SEC or Big 12 team does almost every game. Um, What are you thinking about Houston Cougars? I trust Houston more than I trust any team in the country right now. Wow. I had this post to me on Twitter because it was after Houston lost to Temple. They put put up an offensive clunker. And I wrote about how, you know, they just didn't shoot well, which they didn't. They did everything well. So they're supposed to do in that Temple game. They held Temple to I think thirty-one percent shooting, won the rebounding battle, caused twice as many turnovers as they committed. Right, like everything you wanted to do, they just didn't make shots. And that happened. And that does happen in college basketball. And so I had somebody ask me, "Well, when Tennessee does this, you say it's why they can't go far in the tournament. So why is it different with Houston? Because Houston's had success in the tournament playing this style. And they the sure last have. three years, you think about them going to the Final Four, the Elite Eight appearances that they've made, like the last." Three tournament appearances I think they've had, they've made the, at least the Elite Eight, or at least the Sweet 16. 
It works. I agree. Samson is a coach that better than most gets his team to buy in and play his style. And like you said, it's a style that works well in the tournament. It does. And they have, and this year in particular, they have an experienced backcourt that is probably the best or one of the best backcourts in the nation. All right, let's switch to another team. Let's switch to it because we're running out of time. Ready? Yep. Alabama. Really fun to watch. I mean, young guys, they're playing great. Best freshman in the country. Um, What do you think about Alabama? If they hit threes and don't turn the ball over, they can beat anybody in the country and beat anybody in the country by double digits. The I problem agree. is they turn they turn the ball over a decent amount uh, and are have been inconsistent certainly recently with their three point shot, and, and that's the key. They have things that uh, their defense is playing at a higher level than last year, so like they can win games if they shoot poorly, but they have to take care of the ball. Like so, to me, I feel comfortable penciling them into the Final Four, but this is a team that's either going to be upset in the first weekend. Or make the Final Four. Like, I don't think there's really an in-between for them. All right, tell me the team before the music's about to go on. Tell me the team that right now is even in the top 15 that may make the Final Four. San Diego State. Wow, look at that one. Tough, tough matchups, and they play excellent defense. They really do. They're well-coached. Another well-coached team. What do you about? What do you think about North Carolina Tar Heels? You think they're going to make a run? I wouldn't put it past them, right? Like, you look, you look at their resume, and it's basically the same as it was at this time last year. It's the exact same players. You know, we, we need to see them turn it on at some point in February like they did last year, but there's nothing to say they can't do it. Brian, great job. Thank you for talking about the tournament with us. I'll be talking to you soon on Twitter. Thank you very much. Thank Brian Ross. Thank you so much from Heat Check CBB. All right, folks, we're going to our commercial break, and then we'll be back for the second half of College Hoops Chat. We love that basketball. They're playing Okay, folks, we're back on College Hoops Chat on WBOX. I'm Jim Maysano, and let's get right to our caller, Sam Basil. He's with uh, Atlantic 10 Talk, uh, and he covers Fordham, and he does a really good job and knows the Atlantic 10. Sam, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Jim. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for calling. Boy, last year you called, and it was a lot tougher season for Fordham, although it turned out okay. They were above 500. But this year, you get to call and tell me about a Fordham team that's seventeen and four. How about that? No, it's it's a great time to be covering Fordham basketball. A great time to be uh, a Fordham basketball fan. And let me tell you, you know, in comparison to last year's team, if you combine the regular season and then the one game they won in the Atlantic Ten tournament last year, they finished with sixteen wins. Right now, with ten games left to go in the regular season, they've already got seventeen wins, which is their most in uh, since. Since 2016, they're the, the, the second year, uh, sorry, the first year under Jeff Neubauer. So a, a very great time to be covering Fordham basketball. I mean, look, this is one of the best seasons for Fordham basketball in decades. We can say that. This is one of the best seasons. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what it comes down to is uh, the way that, that Fordham, you know, in the offseason kind of handled the departure of Coach Neptune, kind of stuck with who they had, stuck with the guys on the inside, Namely, uh, you know, current head coach and last year's associate head coach, Keith Ergo. I mean, they really wanted to make sure that he maintained that system that they, they, they installed last year. And it kept guys from, you know, you know, when you have a head coaching change like that, you know, guys are, guys will, you know, enter the portal, stuff like that. But they maintain the coaching staff, maintain the roster, and we're seeing a lot more leadership from top to bottom. And it's really helped you know, create a, a more solid team identity and, and, and win some basketball games in no, the process. No, look, I, I've watched about five or six Fordham games this year, and there's one thing there's no question about, 
and that is Keith Ergo is a really good coach. I mean, that team, every time you watch Fordham, you never look, they never look like a team that's not well coached. They're very well coached. They play with discipline. There's teamwork. They play together, and they play great defense, which is always something that comes from coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the defense has been kind of their hallmark for a really long time, and you see it really coming to fruition uh, this year. I mean, you look at a guy like, like Kyle Rose, right? Um, huge impact on, on Saturday's game, which was a great game against George Washington, 85-70 win. He didn't score a single point. He was 0 for 6 from the field. But uh, three rebounds, three assists, three steals. And just when you, if, if you're kind of, a, you know, someone who, who likes the eye test, I mean, you can tell, I mean, he's playing frantic defense. He's making sure that teams have no idea what they're doing, disrupting game plans. He had a plus minus of 18 on the floor against George Washington without scoring a single point. So I think that just kind of is a perfect testament to what this Fordham defensive identity is. So they're 17 and 4, like I said. They're 5 and 3 in the A10. Their net ranking, which is important, is 132. And I want to come back to that in a second. They're up to 149 in Kempom. But here's an interesting thing, Sam. I don't know if you noticed this. So they've got three straight wins for them, right? They won three games in a row. They beat Duquesne away Four. on the road. Tough game. Um, they beat St. Bonaventure. Uh, oh, you're right. It's four straight wins. I wasn't counting LaSalle, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, well, we actually, because they beat LaSalle and fell backwards uh, on Kempom. But since they beat Duquesne away, beat St. Bonaventure away, and beat George Washington home, in the Kempom analytical rankings, in those three wins, they've jumped from 195 all the way to 149 in Kempom. That's a really impressive jump for Fordham. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's probably one of their biggest surges of the year. Um, I know in the NCAA net rankings, they, they, they peaked at 98 early on. And now I think, yeah, like you said, they're floating around, you know, the 130 range. And I think it just really, sh- I think it's just a testament to, you know, how this team is continuing to find their identity. And they've really just been in- incredibly deep. I think when you look at the, you know, the four game win streak that they've been on, uh, bench contributions have really been important, especially in the front court. I mean, you got guys like, you know, you know younger freshmen, like, Elijah Gray, Ramad Dean making huge contributions. And then, of course, you know, now he's been kind of upgraded to a starter. He started several consecutive games as Will Richardson. I mean, he continues to keep pushing his, his, his early, you know, career highs in, in scoring, rebounds, everything. So, I mean, this team is really good. They've got a lot of leaders, but they're also setting up, you know, what could be a very interesting, you know, next couple of years for the Rams. They do have a nice freshman class, but let's talk about the two stars, right? Fordham's got on paper... You look, at, you look at them and you see on the court, Darius Cuisenberry's averaging uh, about 17 points a game and Caleb Moore averaging about 15 points a game. Uh, but then you got guys like Charlton and Rose, like, as you mentioned, and Nowitzki. You got a lot of guys that pitch in. And now Will Richardson, who's kind of that improving freshman, they do have a nice core and guys off the bench. So here's the question. Ready? Do you right. think Fordham can shock us all and win the A-10 tournament? Well, you know what? I'll say this. Right now, Fordham is in a position to be in. Right now, they're third in the conference. So that means that they get a double bye and get a, get a spot straight into the quarterfinals. In a conference like the A-10, which, you know, I feel like in this year, more than years past, um, is kind of, you know, a chicken without a head. I mean, it really seems like there is absolutely nobody who is a clear favorite in this conference. 
I mean, we saw last year Richmond kind of come out of nowhere to win this tournament. So as long as they can kind of maintain their strong defensive identity, and we'll see this in a huge game tomorrow against St. Louis, um, if they can win the rebounding battle, defend against some, some really strong St. Louis guards and some really powerful St. Louis forwards that really know how to, like, pound the glass, uh, I think I think they could be in really good shape. But as for you know the A10 as a whole, I mean it's anyone's game, so I really don't see why you can't throw the Rams into the mix. I agree. That's why I asked. Now tomorrow, huge game. St. Louis is coming to Rose Hill. If Fordham could ever win that game tomorrow, uh, that would be the big the biggest win in years uh, for the Fordham Rams because St. Louis, you know, at earlier in the season they were seen as the best team in the A10. Uh, they got off to a little bit of rough stuff, but they're playing much better now. The three teams that you know that jump out at me: St. Louis, who Fordham's playing tomorrow; VCU, who's excellent; and Dayton, who's excellent. And Dayton beat Fordham uh, at Fordham. So those are the three teams, probably at the very top of the division. They're currently above Fordham, um, but if Fordham wants to be the best team in the A10, what a way to start if they can win tomorrow at St. Louis. And I hear the game's a sellout. Yeah, uh, they sold out. I haven't gotten confirmation that, that that's a sell. So if, if you've heard that, that's awesome. But I know that they definitely sold out the game against George Washington. And uh, I think that really set the precedent for, like, Rose Hill Gym being a really, really packed venue throughout, throughout the rest of conference play. I mean, the atmosphere on Saturday was absolutely bonkers. And if, if they can even match that, you know, going the rest of the season, I think it'd be really great for them down the stretch. So in the New Bauer years, before uh, this latest uh, Neptune uh, into Ergo, the new coach, I was always shocked by how few students went to the games. It was mostly alumni at the games at Fordham. Have the students rallied this year? Absolutely. Um, the student section was hot against George Washington on Saturday. And, you know, it's, it's not only, not only are our students showing up, but they're getting involved. Um, you know, I feel like there there are a lot of you know you know a lot of hallmarks to you know really great college basketball student sections. You know, they like to have you know kind of like you know the bits and the, and the fun signs and the different cheers that they do. And we're really starting to see that continue to develop. I mean, people are making their own merch. I mean, there are there are small you know pages on Instagram that are that are selling new Fordham stuff. People are you know tweeting about Fordham basketball that you wouldn't really expect before. And so, yeah, I think people are really starting to realize that this can be a premier New York basketball school. You just need the current student base and the alumni base, which is heavily entrenched in New York. I mean, I feel like people who go to Fordham tend to stay in the area. They're ready to come out of the woodwork and, and, and support this team. I agree. And uh, I listen, I know a ton of Fordham alumni, and they are so excited about this team and this record. And uh, it's we're going to learn a lot about Fordham this week. You know, they have St. Louis coming into their gym. St. Louis may be the best team in the A-10. We'll see how that goes tomorrow night. And then on Sunday, it's never easy to go on the road to play Richmond. Richmond's a very solid program. Uh, right now, Ken Palm has Fordham losing both games, but close. If Fordham could ever win those two games, uh, Fordham's really rolling towards that Atlantic 10 tournament. Absolutely. And Richmond is one of the, you know, you know, just the city in general, both in Richmond's home court and VCU's home court. I mean, those are two of the toughest home courts to play in in the entire Atlantic 10. So they, if they can go put on a show there, I mean, that's just continuing to make these statements to show that Fordham is, 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 is really here to play. I agree. And, um, hey, how'd you like my Bonnies, by the way? St. Bonaventure 
beating VCU at VCU on uh, Saturday. What do you think of that? So when it comes to the Atlantic 10, especially considering how, how you know all over the place the conference is right now, there's no clear favorite. I think something that really sets a lot of teams apart is experienced coaching. And Mark Schmidt, even though he had really no returning points from, from last year's roster, he knows how this conference works. He's comfortable with this team, with this program. I feel like he could really take a lot of guys. He, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a wide pool of players that I think Mark Schmidt can coach uh, a team to a winning record with. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think it's just another testament to his ability as a coach. I agree. Mark Schmidt is uh, not only one of the best coaches in the A10, he's one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, I'm biased. I'm a St. Bonaventure fan and alum, but uh, he's a great coach. All right, question. All right. If Fordham isn't going to win the A10 and you had a pick between uh, the three kind of front runners, St. Louis, VCU, and Dayton, who would you see winning the A10 this year in the tournament? Man, I mean, that, that is absolute. That, that's you know, one of the toughest questions. But out of the three, so VCU, St. Louis, Dayton, I think, again, it would come down to coaching, and I think it comes down to a guy like Travis Ford, right? Um, Stu Durando, who, who covers, uh, cover, covers the Billikens for uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, posted a video of one of their practices today. They were practicing rebounds with, uh, you know, a, a, a shot blocker in the hoop. So these balls were taking crazy bounces. I mean, so I think, you know, a coach that can prepare a team for the craziness of this league is a coach that can go really far. So I think St. Louis has the talent and the coaching staff to do it. But again, it's the slimmest margins between those three teams. And honestly, not that much from everybody else. All right, quick, when music's on, one last question. Give me a dark horse to win the A-10, not the top four. Give me a dark horse. Oh, okay. Um... Aside from Fordham, I have to go GW. I mean, James Bishop has been putting on a show in conference play. Anytime GW plays, you got to check out James Bishop. Okay, and I'm going to throw Duquesne out there. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll have plenty of time to pick it up. They've Sam, been great as well. Great job, Sam. Very informative. Thanks for the call. Good luck to the Rams tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye, Sam. Both Jim Masato, Carl, Tupac, WVX. We'll be right back. We love that basket. Bye. Okay, folks, we're back They're on call. Super Chat. I'm Jim Misano. This is WVOX, and we have Kenny from Rye on the phone. Kenny, how are you? James, how we doing? Sorry about that. I didn't know you were holding in the prior section, but you always tell me to talk more about Fordham, so you gave Fordham some extra time. I did. They deserved the shout-out, as you and I have talked about for the last few weeks, so I was glad to hear someone, obviously, with a very good inside knowledge of them, and I think uh, it will be interesting to see when we go to the Fordham-Bonnie game uh, right at the Rose Hill Gym. That'll be fun. February 15th, we're going to St. Bonaventure at Fordham. All right, quickly, give us a minute about the exciting week for the Providence Friars. Well, it was a great week. I was up there last Saturday. I was up there for the DePaul game, and it was actually accepting students' day, and so there was a lot of enthusiasm. Ed was fired up to get everybody back. I think there were some health care issues from a standpoint, not injuries, but kind of like the flu bug that kind of ran through them the week before, so they were in good spirits and ready to go. Uh, they took care of DePaul and, 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 looked, and looked good doing so in the second half. Um, you know, that was that without Bynum did not play that game, or if he did, he played a couple minutes. It was insignificant. Uh, they look good overall. They're starting to gel really well. He's taking some other people off the bench and inter- integrating them into the system, so they look good. Rolled into Wednesday, and, and it was really never a game against Butler. I mean, it was, I think Butler was up for all of about two minutes in the beginning of the game, and then it was kind of over. 
they were up close to 20 and a half and it was it could have been even worse so um they were rolling and it was a good home home victory again so as you said they're in the top 25 looking good you know obviously they lost to Creighton the week before but we'll have to see when we get them on their home court well, you got Xavier right. You have Xavier coming up on the road. That'll be hard. But then you got Georgetown and St. John's, uh, two pretty good games. But then after that, you got Creighton, Villanova, and Connecticut. So they still got a lot of tough games, but Providence is playing really well, overperforming uh, preseason um, predictions, and uh, great stuff going on up in Providence. Yeah, the transfers are yelling. As you and I always talk about, that's the key. Yep. You know, if it works or it doesn't work, and it seems to be working again. All right, Iona. Let's switch to Iona. So Iona has a crazy second half on Sunday, comeback victory uh, against Quinnipiac, who blew them out earlier in the season. Even though the team shot about the same, Mama's field goal percentage was 35, Iona's was 39. Iona's defense was tenacious in the second half, aggressive almost every second, every, every, every uh, possession was hotly contested. Here's the difference. I was looking at the stats, Ken. Iona's big... Uh, win in the second half against Quinnipiac where they won the second half by 23 points, 50-27. to 27. Iona got 11 blocks in the game, and they forced 17 turnovers. That was the difference in the game, the Iona's defense and getting the block shots. Yeah, I mean, from a perspective of where we were in the game before, where they just struggled over the entire court, um, obviously something happened at halftime to turn up the defense. And I think Iona's a little bit streaky on the offensive side, and that's one of their problems. I mean, we, we can blame it on injuries. We can blame it on a few things. But it, it, it's, it's kind of a, been a recipe for them over the course of the year. They look great at some points, particularly in the beginning of the year, a couple of them against the MAC. Uh, opponents, and I thought, you know, this is a team that's going to roll, and then sometimes they just go super cold on the offensive side, but you know, it, according to Rick, he, you know, defense drives everything, and he seems to be you know, kind of tuning it up a little bit for that, but as you mentioned, I think one of the bigger blows for them has been the loss of Zelensky. Yeah, Quinn Zelensky's a big loss. Alright, let me go to the other call, because we have Fairfield Frank calling. We're going to talk, keep talking about Iona, but we're going to talk about Iona's game on Sunday at uh, Fairfield in their brand new arena. All right, James. Good luck to them. Thank you, Kenny from Rye. Take it easy. All right, bye-bye now. Actually, that was Kenny from Colorado, actually. He's, he's skiing in Colorado, but uh, never misses a show. All right, let's go to the phone line. Uh, we have Fairfield Frank Aquino on there. Are we set? Are we all set on the line here? Hold on one hey, second. I... Frank, are you there? Yeah, how you doing, Jim? Well, thank you so much for calling. We're happy to have Fairfield Frank on the line. Uh, happy to be on him. I followed up some Providence talk too. I love talking about Coach Cooley, so I could I could have chimed in there. I was at the uh, UConn Providence game up in Providence a couple weeks ago. Right, you were a manager, right, for uh, Fairfield? Was that under Coach Cooley? Yeah, so uh, I was under Coach Cooley his first two years or his last two years, excuse me, at Fairfield for my first two years in college, and then last two was uh, Coach Sidney Johnson, who came from uh, Princeton. Right, that's great. Well, wow, so that's a great experience being a manager. Uh, of a college basketball team. As a matter of fact, I don't remember last year. It wasn't against Fairfield. It was against Quinnipiac. But in the very last game of the season, Iona got so far ahead of the last regular season game, they let the manager play in the game. That's awesome. I wish that was the case for me. I don't think so, though. They were uh, There were some pretty good teams when I was at Fairfield and a manager. The, my freshman year, uh, they made they placed Siena on Siena's home court up in Albany. Uh, a freshman, that was my year at the time, Colin Nickerson missed the elbow jumper to win the game, and they ended up losing in C- to Siena in overtime. And then June, sophomore year, they were good as well. You know, Fairfield hosted the tournament at the uh, at the time. 
was just a Harbor Bank Arena, but now it's a Total Mortgage Arena, and they lost to the semis. And then my junior year, they made it to the finals and lost to Loyola too. So those teams are way too good for a manager and someone of my caliber of basketball to be playing in the game. All right. Well, tell me about this year's team. I watch Fairfield. I keep track of them. I always hope Fairfield does well. I had a lot of friends who went to Fairfield, alums, up and down, inconsistent season so far. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's it's really up and down. I mean, you start uh, eight game road stand to start the start the year. Uh, I think the coaching staff, the athletic department, weren't 100 percent sure on you know where the team uh, w- would be and where they could play their first game at the new arena. They weren't sure it was going to be quite be ready, and it ended up being the women's team that opened the arena. I believe it was the third week of of uh, November, the weekend before uh, Thanksgiving. They played. Uh, Stonehill and um, University of Michigan, number 23, University of Michigan came in and played the women that first opening weekend to open the arena. But the men weren't quite sure. So they didn't want to deal with the scheduling issues. So they had eight games on the road. Three were in neutral site. They played a, a neutral site game in Savannah, uh, three, three of them versus Towson, Mercer, and Evansville, uh, and then played Manhattan, their first back game. And then their second back game was St. Peter's at home. And that started an eight-game homestand. So it's weird to have the up and downs because you expected the down from the eight games on the road and then more of an up at home. And it kind of just neutralized. I think they were somewhere around 500 after that stretch, just not really playing the, the basketball we expected this roster to play. And, you know, Iona is, no, is not shy through the injuries that they have right now. And, you know, Fairfield lost one of their guards that was expected to be a pretty high performer for them in Bryson Goodine. Um, he's out with a meniscus injury and he's out for the year this year. So that was a, I thought that was a pretty major blow. I mean, he played about 20 minutes a game, scored seven a game. So that was one of the scoring threats. And our offense really puttered for a while. Um, and then finally getting back to Mac play was a little, like you said, up and down again, you know, beat Maris, lose to Siena, and then lost to Niagara at home. And I got to say that loss to Niagara at home, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was January 6th. They it was? Were up, yeah, and they, they, uh, they were up 10. Uh, with about eight minutes to go, was hoping that they would solidify that win and you know close that game out and go improve to three and two in the MAC. And you know, uh, Greg Paulus threw a hissy fit, got a technical. Fairfield was up up to eight or nine points, and then all of a sudden Niagara comes steaming back. We force overtime and lose in overtime. And I think as much as that loss really hurt at the time, I think it fueled something in them and. And since that loss, they're four and two. Um, so they had a four, they had a four game win streak. So I would say the real big turning point was that Iona game they played. Now going into the game, finding out about 15 minutes before pregame that Caleb Field, their starting point guard was out, wasn't feeling too hot about the Iona game, but after, they probably played one of their best halves that first half, uh, leading Iona, I think it was 34 32. Um, and that was a pretty unbelievable feat. I think they ended up losing, uh, got in front of me here. They ended up losing uh, 75, 69. So, you know, they, they lost that game, but then they rattled off four wins after that, you know, playing St. Peter's, playing Canisius at home, uh, beating the Mount. And, uh, oh, and they went up to Siena, probably the biggest Mac victory and one of the biggest back victories in Jay Young's uh, tenure, probably the biggest regular season Mac victory going up to Siena and winning. They hadn't beaten Siena since Jay Young's been the coach up until that point uh, this year. So that was a huge win. They ran off some wins and then fast forward to Sunday yesterday and uh, another game, they're up five with like 20 seconds left. They let up a, a three-pointer to make it a two-point game and they ended up uh, allowing a, a knock-around basket that just 
I, I feel like it took 10 bounces on the rim before it fell in to force overtime. And, you know, just like the Niagara game, you kind of knew overtime was over once it started. Right. So, All right. That was so, a tough, tough loss. Fairfield is 10 and 11, 6 and 5. You got Iona coming into your new arena. It's going to be a real test for, for both teams because Fairfield played Iona very close last time. But I have to go to one more call of Fairfield, Frank. So great job. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for calling. All right. John from Porchester. You are on. Tell me what you think about the Iona Gales. You got about a minute. Oh, my goodness. I feel like uh, I was on the cyclone in Coney Island, uh, just so you know, this weekend. Um, you know, we ran into quite the buzzsaw, uh, Jim, uh, in, uh, in uh, Albany, and uh, they certainly were the better team this weekend. We'll see about that uh, when Tom and Land is city time for the match. Um, with regards to Fordham, that's great for the city. Let's hope Iona starts playing them again. I think that'd be fantastic. Cruz Davis, three for four against Quinnipiac. Great, great uh, shooting from him and a lot more minutes on the bench. And uh, I think Iona finally remembered what uh, name was on their jerseys and they started playing Iona basketball. All right, so hopefully Iona can take two this weekend uh, with the new school that just joined the Mount and Fairfield. We'll see. We'll talk to you soon, John from Porchester. Thanks, Jim. Great show. Thanks so much. All right, folks, that's the show. Carl Tupchat, WBOX, will be back next Monday night. Enjoy the games this week, everybody.